Hey, SpongeBob! You gotta try this, dude! Ha! We finally got enough people for a seven-mile spanking machine! Ha! Ouch! 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 Next! Is this where the line starts? Ahoy, mateys, and welcome to another episode of I'm Ready, a SpongePod Squarecast. My name is Captain Eric. Welcome aboard to another episode. Um, you hear that? That, ladies and gentlemen, is a terrible echo coming from a completely empty room. And, and don't worry, it's not going to sound like this for the entire episode, but I just wanted to record something for the first time in my new office. And uh, I'm still in the process of moving, hence why this episode is, uh, is late. Hold on one second, actually. There, that's much better. Not as much echo. Um, now, this isn't the same office. I had to obviously move to another room that is better uh, suited for recording than that one. Um, but that office will be filled over the next week or two with my uh, various knickknacks. And it's not a permanent office, as uh, the basement in our home still needs to be uh, finished up. And once that's done, I imagine down there there'll be a more permanent setup for the show, uh, for live streaming, a, a bit more of a set that we'll have and uh, something that'll be nice to, to move on forward with. Uh, for the time being, though, this is still really exciting. There's a lot going on, and, and I do apologize over any hiccups over, over scheduling. Unfortunately, just certain things in life gets thrown at you. It's like you're constantly playing a game of Donkey Kong. You're climbing up those ladders, you're getting to the next part, and there's just barrel after barrel coming at you, and you can jump them all you want, but eventually a barrel is going to hit you and knock you down another level, but... You just got to keep getting up, getting back up on that ladder. And man, what a great metaphor for today's episode of SpongeBob SquarePants. We're talking about I Had an Accident, uh, one of my favorite episodes from season three. This is the second half of the 56th episode of SpongeBob, and it first premiered on uh, October 4th, 2003. I had to look down on the list because that's actually later than a lot of countries here. So I want to give some shout outs. Canada with the first airing on November 12th, 2002. We eventually had it in the United States through DVD means on January 28th, 2003. Then it hit UK and Ireland on April 19th, 2003. Australia on July 9th, 2003. And then we eventually got it on October 4th, 2003. Uh, when it comes to a question on the airings of these episodes and why they might be out of production order, you know... There are a lot of moving parts on a on a television station, and just sometimes when they're moving around all of those puzzle pieces, things just kind of get placed off in certain areas. And, you know, each country has their own uh, Nickelodeon to worry about or, you know, any other channel that's that's distributing SpongeBob in that country. Um, but they, they, you know, have their own puzzles to worry about. So that's why there's all these different airings and whatnot for different countries here. The writers for this episode are C.H. Greenblatt, Kaz, and Meriwether Williams. Uh, just let's stop right here for a second and, and go through uh, this eclectic group of writers. C.H. Greenblatt, if that name sounds familiar, you, you might better know him as the creator of both Chowder and Harvey Beaks for Cartoon Network and Nickelodeon, respectively. And I believe he is also the voice of Fred Fred Berger, if I'm, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, Kaz, Kazmiris, Gediminis, Proplianus, 
Um, one of the prolific writers to exist in SpongeBob history. When you look at this man's resume, it is short, but it is impactful. Let me tell you, uh, it is it is quite a run here on SpongeBob. And then Meriwether Williams, a name that we have come across over uh, our, our entire run here of the podcast many times. Uh, she is one of my favorite writers in SpongeBob history. And, you know, when I mentioned, hey, this is one of my favorite episodes, it's not shocking to then see these three names listed under this episode. It's like, oh, gold, I, I trust whatever comes out of this, uh, this trio here. Uh, our storyboard artist is Chuck Klein. Our storyboard directors are C.H. Greenblatt and Kaz. Our animation director is Frank Weiss. And our creative director is Derek Dryman. This is actually Frank Weiss's final episode as an animation director for SpongeBob SquarePants. And I, his last episode of SpongeBob SquarePants as, as a whole, um, he would take a break from SpongeBob before returning as an animation director for the third movie, Sponge on the Run. You know, it, it makes sense having Frank Weiss as an animation director for that movie. When you watch it, um, even if you're not a fan of the CGI, but when you watch it in motion, the the movie very much captures the animation of SpongeBob SquarePants, but just splashes a 3D overlay on top of it. It's, it's very pleasing to the eyes, at least for me. I know for a lot of other people it is... It's not, and they are not a fan of that style. I'm glad we got to see that style implemented, and I'm I'm kind of on the fence if, you know, should they switch the animation style up for future SpongeBob movies? Would that be something that would, you know, maintain an interest to see these things every couple of years and would then kind of gauge the reasoning as to why you would pay to see uh, a film version of a, of a TV show I, I don't know. These are just questions to ask. For me in particular, when it comes to films based off of television shows, I don't mind that they try to copy the television style very closely. And I, I really even don't mind when they add in the shading that everybody jokes about. It, it's it's beautiful. It works. It, it adds that film element to it. I know like it's a meme at this point, but I'm, I'm a bit of a fan. Uh, so Frank Weiss... Uh, came back to, to SpongeBob to work on Sponge on the Run and then continued to work as a uh, timing director on the Patrick Star Show. So very much still a part of the SpongeBob family in, in many ways. And, and Frank himself has a wonderful group of episodes under his belt as an animation director. And I'm going to list them here because this is huge. And, and trust me, anybody who works on SpongeBob absolutely de deserves their time devoted to them. But when I name some of these episodes, maybe you'll understand. Uh, for season two, Frank was an animation director for Shanghai, Gary Takes a Bath, Band Geeks, and I'm With Stupid. For season three, The Algae's Always Greener, The Bully, Doing Time, As Seen on TV, Wet Painters, Krusty Krab Training Video, Mermaid Man and Barnacle Boy 5, Midlife crustacean, and I had an accident. The, whoa. At least for me, as a SpongeBob fan, out of that group of episodes, I can already point out two or three that would be in my top five of all time. This is crazy. So, Frank, thank you so much. And I, I don't mind speaking on behalf of all SpongeBob fans out there, but thank you so much for the work you have done 
for this series. You have cemented yourself in the annals of animation history with some of the work you have put forth. And thank you for continuing to work on the uh, on the show and any of its spinoffs. I like I'm sure anybody working alongside of you is lucky enough for that opportunity. Uh, so thank you. Thank you. Uh, and what a, what a swan song to uh, to leave off on. I had an accident. This is this is a big one. Like I said, it's one of my favorites for the uh, for the third season here. But let's get into the episode. What are we talking about here? I had an accident. Now, in other places in the world, and I think it actually comes down to um, certain cable boxes actually list this episode as safety freak, which might be a bit more on the nose of of what happens, but. I, as far as the plot is concerned, but I don't think we, we can get much clearer than I had an accident, which <laughs> that's basically the polite phrasing we've all all agreed upon instead of just loudly pronouncing that you, you peed yourself or, or any of the other cruder ways you could you could say that. But I had an accident. Uh, definitely a uh, play off of that. This episode starts out at Sand Mountain, a less seen part of Bikini Bottom that we've only seen one previous time in a SpongeBob episode pre-hibernation week, the episode in which uh, before Sandy's hibernation, she was looking to, you know, live life to the extreme and took SpongeBob to as many extreme locations as she could to do as many extreme things as she could. And Sand Mountain was on that list. And it seems like things have not slowed down at Sand Mountain because as this episode opens up, we are greeted to the glorious screams of Patrick Starr. I don't even mind that some of these are lifted from previous episodes. They're actually some of my favorite screams of Patrick. And I I got to be real with you. I think the uh the screams of Patrick Star are the um the current day modern day version of the goofy holler. Look, there's no replacing the goofy holler when he falls off of a cliff or from a high height, but uh Patrick screams are just as humorous. I'm not going to say they're more humorous to me at least, but uh, they're they're pretty funny. They're they're up there. I'm glad they used those. We get a nice Game Boy reference here, where as the episode begins, Patrick is just hurtling through the sky and ends up crashing into a mountain into a bunch of pieces. But the camera zooms out, and we end up seeing that Patrick is actually just playing a Game Boy game uh, while he's still sandboarding which is really dangerous. I don't recommend you do that. Um, sure, bring the, the Game Boy or your, your game device with you to the mountain, um, you know, in your downtime if you want to hang out in your, your hotel room or in, like, the common area and chill out and play your Switch. Cool. Don't bring it with you on the actual mountain. That's that's pretty dangerous. Patrick is a, is a man who lives on the wild side. You know, you have to appreciate that for a moment. And, of course, while he was paying attention to the game ends up crashing himself almost in the same fashion, which which is really funny. Sandy is not here to crash or cause any accidents. Um, that That's not what Sandy is here, here for. After Patrick has successfully crashed, it is SpongeBob's turn on the Sand Mountain. This time, he's not using his tongue. Uh, he is actually on the, the regular board you're supposed to use, which is pretty much just a clam. But he's creating his own uh, uh, sandboarding moves, including the grouchy Squidward, which I got to say, MVP of this episode has to go to Squidward Tentacles. His appearances are brief, but this man does not waste time on screen. Every moment of Squidward in this episode 
is gold. So right when SpongeBob names out that he is about to do the grouchy Squidward, we we just see Squidward on the mountain having tea with himself, yelling at SpongeBob to stop naming moves after him, which just <laughs> begs to question how many moves has SpongeBob named after Squidward thus far? Because we already have the grouchy Squidward, so what other Squidward variations have we missed out on that Squidward knows about? Uh, we we get to see the grouchy Squidward, and if Tom Kenny is there doing a Squidward impression, it's actually really good. It's it's almost spot on. We also get a yellow sand reference in this episode, which if you don't get that, if that joke goes over your head and you've never heard the term yellow snow, well, then let me enlighten you. If anyone pees in snow, it then makes it yellow. Hence, yellow snow. Don't eat the yellow snow and don't eat the yellow sand. That's disgusting. But of course, Patrick... Patrick doesn't listen to that information. He lives his own life, and it's on the wild side. We've already established this. The man is a is an absolute menace. Um, now, other than Squidward's appearance in this episode, we also get an appearance by a scuba diving tree. Uh, while while SpongeBob is doing the grouchy Squidward, making fun of Squidward, and not paying attention to what's in front of him. Sandy yells out what you would yell out if you saw George of the Jungle swinging in the in the trees on some vines. What do you end up yelling out? Look out for that tree. And we get an appearance by this this pine tree underwater with a scuba mask and a tank. And it visually one of my favorite jokes in SpongeBob SquarePants. Just just seeing the appearance of this tree underwater is enough to make me laugh. While SpongeBob avoids the scuba diving tree, he ends up not paying attention to where he's going yet again and runs right into a log, which honestly I think saved him a little bit because without him running into that log, he was just going to fall right off of this cliff, which it, why do they have these kind of open areas in Sand Mountain? I mean, maybe if you are a, a professional extreme sand border, you can handle a jump like that, but clearly not SpongeBob SquarePants. But he hits this log that sends him in the air, spinning at such a high velocity. We get this nice little visual gag where he ends up stopping in the air and, and is upside down, but sees the tip of the mountain like it's coming from the top of the television screen. It's, it's a nice little joke, but what ends up happening is SpongeBob tumbles all the way to the ground and smashes his bottom half into tiny little pieces all over the place. His butt and bottom is destroyed. Now, the last time he had an injury like this at Sand Mountain, uh, he was a bit more confident in brushing it off, but this time it seems like the damage has been done. Cut to some time later, we catch up at SpongeBob at the hospital, where apparently after 20 hours of scotch tape, staples, and uh, glue stick, they were able to put back every single piece of his bottom half. And let me tell you, uh, scotch tape and staples are one thing, but the the glue from a glue stick really doesn't give me much confidence. I guess when they ran out of staples, that was their last ditch effort was the glue stick. You're telling me there was literally nothing else you could have grabbed? Um, the, the glue, a glue stick is only good for putting paper on paper. Glue sticks are sketchy. It depends on the brand. It depends on, on how you use it, the, the methodology into your glue sticking. 
what what you do with it, how you use it, but it doesn't give me much confidence, especially when you're putting uh, bone back together. I think SpongeBob may have been better off going to Weenie Hut General than the uh, the regular Bikini Bottom General Hospital. Now there is this overlooming threat of the Iron Butt, which is a comedic play off of the Iron Lung, which is a type of negative pressure ventilator a mechanical respirator which encloses most of a person's body and varies the air pressure in the enclosed space to stimulate breathing. If you have ever seen these things, they are uh, quite a sight to see. It doesn't look like it's anything to to achieve, to, to be in. Um, and I imagine the iron butt is something of a, a similar desire. You don't want it. You don't want to be attached to that thing. Doesn't, doesn't seem like it's a great life. And SpongeBob gets warned about this, that if he has an accident of that magnitude again, there won't be anything to, to put together and he'll just be attached to the iron butt. So this is where we get the overarching story of this episode is dealing with SpongeBob's post-injury trauma. Now, there is no denying that SpongeBob dealt with a traumatic injury in this episode. A traumatic injury is a term which refers to physical injuries of sudden onset and severity which require immediate medical attention. Uh, This is extremely obvious with what happens to SpongeBob here, and it's reasonable in what he experiences after leaving the hospital, especially with what the doctor says. Um, Now, I wouldn't trust a doctor who used pretty much scotch tape, which he doesn't say scotch tape in the episode when you look at the x-ray of spongebob's uh bottom half and you see all the pieces put together you can just see tape on most of those pieces but he does admit to using the stapler and the uh the glue stick but after that you're told you can't have an injury like this again or you're going to end up in this massive machine it's going to make you think twice on literally everything you do and and maybe not for you maybe not everything but for spongebob it's it's now life or death with every single decision he makes. When SpongeBob exits the hospital, he enters a world in which almost everybody wants to hit him on the butt. He starts getting skittish around people behind him and ends up running into situations in which there are people getting spanked. And now, I know those kind of spankings wouldn't cause the injury in which SpongeBob occurred earlier in the episode, but he is taking an extreme caution. Let's take a pause moment for a second and uh, and realize I mentioned that there were occurrences in which spanking was a, a normalized thing in that moment. What does that mean? Well, the first group that SpongeBob runs into is a couple of football players who invite him over to play. And right after a successful catch by Percy, he is then greeted with a nice butt pat by the other player. Now, um, I don't know if this is still it's probably still an occurrence in today's football but at one point in history uh the butt pat was like the football players high five that's just what they would do in instead of a high five like if you wanted to say like great catch or great game to a guy you'd, you'd pat him on the butt it wasn't like a hard i'm trying to hurt you spank it was like a, a what you would do for a high five like i said i don't know if this is still a current thing i i don't think so I don't have to imagine, but I know in this day and age we have to be 
more consensual with our butt pats. But in the world of football, I don't know if that's still a like a thing. Like I said, it was like their high five for like forever. It was just a thing that would happen. You would see it all the time. But that, of course, alerts SpongeBob. He doesn't need to be patted on the butt, especially after the injury he occurred. The next thing he runs into is the legendary seven mile spanking machine which is a seven-mile lineup of people with their legs spread in which the idea is that a person would start crawling in between their legs and get spanked by each and every person. I could try to figure out the math and how many people roughly is in that group. Possibly 281,635. But seven miles is no joke. That is a lot of fish. That is a lot of people. And wouldn't you know it, we get our second appearance by Squidward here asking if this is the start of the line. And one of like Squidward's top 10 best little one-liner jokes, this moment is just fantastic. I love the idea of the of the lineup of the, the spanking machine. I love that there's a guy at the beginning just enticing people like, hey, SpongeBob, come over here. We finally we finally got enough people for a seven mile spanking machine as if uh, five or six miles is just is just kind of playtime. That's not that's not a real spanking machine. We got to go seven. That's the real number here. I, I love that. I love the idea that they finally got enough people for for this specific of a of a mileage. But yeah, Squidward shows up at the beginning of the line because he's he wants to experience seven miles of spanking. And you know what? Just like Patrick, Squidward lives his own life. He lives to his own rules. I love it. I, I'm not saying I would uh, want to go down that line. I don't know if I could crawl for seven miles. I don't know if I have that in me. SpongeBob is tired of running into everything that wants to spank or hit him on the rear end. And he has decided to now keep himself enclosed entirely in his home without speaking to the outside world, without dealing with the outside world in any way, shape, or form, and just wants to sit in solidarity in the middle of his floor with three new friends, three new characters to the SpongeBob universe. I'm talking about classic characters who make an impactful first episode debut here. Uh, Such an impactful debut that... People and fans are still talking about it to this day um, because I don't think we've ever had three characters just added to a show that fits so perfectly as, as these new three characters. Because SpongeBob's new friends are Penny, Used Napkin, and Chip. That's right. Uh, SpongeBob has made friends with these three inanimate objects. Instead of risking his bottom to any possible injuries, SpongeBob has decided to remain sedentary in his house, which... That might be the first time you've ever heard of that word. SpongeBob actually uses it when he says one of my one of my favorite little lines of his, uh, my people are sedentary. But sedentary is the quote of a person tending to spend much time seated, somewhat inactive. So, hey, sea sponges don't really move around very much on the seafloor. Uh, there are cases of, of movements here and there, but by and large, the sea sponge is not a mobile creature. It attaches itself to rocks and the seafloor and filter feeds, an actual process that SpongeBob brings up here that sea sponges uh, actually use. And what is filter feeding? 
Well, basically, there are parts inside of the sea sponge that actually move the water, the ocean water around it, inside and throughout the sponge and essentially sucks out any of the bacteria or any of the nutrients it can gain from that water and then expels that water out of it. And, and I don't know if the water outside of the sea sponge, I would say, is necessarily cleaner, but hey, whatever it needs to stay alive or, or keep its nutrients up, it'll take. And that's what filter feeding is. It filters out what it needs from the seawater. So SpongeBob is not technically wrong in that he could survive by sitting still and filter feeding. It looks ridiculous from, from the way he's doing it, and I imagine there's probably a less ridiculous way to filter feed but he's he's really on the money as far as as the sea sponge and uh, and how they could survive underwater. Sandy and Patrick, as the good friends as they are, come over to see how he's doing, realize that he's becoming a hermit and a shut in and try to point out some of the flaws in his uh, new plan in life. One of them being his job at the Krusty Krab. Hey, how are you going to keep your job if you're just going to sit inside of your house and do nothing? And SpongeBob has an answer for that. He has rigged a extremely long spatula from one window in his house all the way over to the Krusty Krab to flip patties. Now, if he can get the job done to his fullest extent from sitting in his house and he has the confidence to do so, more power to him. I mean, in 2022, there's more people working from home than in any other year. So, hey, rock on, SpongeBob. You can do this. I, I believe in you. But I really can't imagine he can bring the same fry cook experience at home that he that he does in, in store at the Krusty Krab. So I don't think that part of the plan is going to work. And as far as keeping himself busy, uh, he has no problem coming up with his own little songs. And, of course, he has uh, his his friends keeping him company, which Penny, by the way, has one of the most extraordinary singing voices I've I've ever heard. Uh, I I don't think I've ever shed a tear by uh, by a voice before. But Penny, Penny made me cry harder than any Celine Dion uh, unhappy animal ad could ever, and uh, and he did it with with such little time. It's it's breathtaking. But anyway. Now we're on to the part where Sandy and Patrick try to entice SpongeBob with various objects and activities to get him to come outside. Now, if I had a friend who dealt with a, an injury and wanted to stay indoors, I, I would certainly try this method to a degree. I don't think I would yell outside of their window as to things that are going on, but I, I certainly would bring up activities that we could do outside or at another location, not in their house, you know, maybe a theme park or, uh, you know, an arcade or something like that. As far as the methods that Sandy and Patrick go through here, they are as follows. A trampoline, uh, some ice cream, which is, is a good is a good idea to get somebody out of the house, uh, the ice cream truck coming by. Uh, underwater surfing, two ice creams, which I got to give it to Patrick so far. He's in the lead as far as the winning idea because uh, for me, and I'd say a lot of people, a trampoline and underwater surfing might not get you out of the house. But two ice creams is, a, is an enticing opportunity that presents itself. 
Sandy then presents a Ferris wheel that is in front of SpongeBob's house, which, you know what, is a nice gesture. If Sandy was able to get that Ferris wheel delivered, set up, and running in front of SpongeBob's house, she's a good friend. That's a really good gesture for him. That still doesn't work. Then we go back to Patrick, who still has the two ice creams in his hands, but they are now melted. And I have to say that the third time around, Patrick's offer is not as good as the second time. I would rather have uh, two full ice creams than two melted ones. I, I thought it would be even funnier if he just went for the three ice creams and, and maybe had the cones sticking out of his belly button. But uh, but you know what? It's It's nice that he just stuck with the two. Sandy then tries clam wrestling, which is a very wonderful nod to Sandy's very first appearance in this show, Tea at the Tree Dome. If we rewind all the way back to that episode, it is wrestling with a clam that brought Sandy and SpongeBob together. So I thought that was really sweet uh, of Sandy to try to, to entice SpongeBob yet again to kind of jump at the opportunity in saving her from a clam. And, of course, that still doesn't work. Patrick's last-ditch effort into getting SpongeBob out of the house, his last idea is washing an old person, which Sandy reminds him is not really a fun activity, but it is for the old person. Uh, I, I imagine getting a sponge bath at some age has got to be a really nice feeling. When all of the fun stuff doesn't work, Sandy and Patrick move on to tricking SpongeBob with an assault. They get Patrick a gorilla costume, and the plan is that Sandy is going to be attacked by this gorilla, quote-unquote, and that will get SpongeBob to jump into action to save Sandy. My problem here is that at this point in the series, Sandy has been well-established as the strongest character in Bikini Bottom. Um, now, the first time they met and Sandy was struggling with this clam and SpongeBob jumped in to save her, he just met her. He didn't even know who she was, her name, or how strong she was. But at this point, it has been strongly established on Sandy's strength and abilities underwater. So when this short, fat gorilla comes over and just dances in front of her, it's really sad and pathetic to think that this would trick SpongeBob into coming out of his house because, of course, it doesn't. And he just laughs it off. Um, not even not even based off of the Sandy part, because that's that's what I would write. Like, come on, Sandy. I'm not like I know you can handle that gorilla. But based off of the fact that he obviously can tell that it's Patrick because <laughs> A part of their plan was to apparently reuse one of Patrick's old Halloween costumes uh, to, to trick SpongeBob here. So, of course, it doesn't trick SpongeBob, and he's not having any of it. Now, what shocks all of us is that while this, this gorilla, this Patrick gorilla, is just dancing around, uh, Patrick comes off of the side of the screen with some ice cream. And we're kind of all in this, like, stunned moment. SpongeBob's face included of like, whoa, wait, I thought that was Patrick inside the gorilla suit. But wait a minute. It is Patrick inside the gorilla suit. The gorilla unzips the face to reveal Patrick. And then we look over to the Patrick holding the ice cream and he unzips his face to reveal a real man in a gorilla suit. I, I don't know if you've never seen this. I don't know how else to explain it, but it's not a it's not a cartoon character. It's like a. And a guy in a gorilla suit, clearly in front of a green screen, 
then placed inside of the Bikini Bottom world. And this gorilla just goes bananas and starts beating up both Sandy and Patrick, throws them in a sack, and just starts beating up that sack left and right, throwing it on the ground, pouncing it, jumping on it like it's it's one of those bouncy balls. Um, what, what I love about this sequence is I know that the uh, creators of this episode, of this sequence, were not intending this whatsoever, but for me personally, I also grew up with a little show called Jackass, and on that show, they had an episode in which they had a sequence called Night Monkey, in which one of the performers, Chris Pontius, would just get in a, a gorilla costume and just kind of run around and be obnoxious in L.A. The reason I bring this up was there's actually a part two to Night Monkey in which there are multiple members of the Jackass crew in monkey costumes, including one Brad Pitt. In probably one of my favorite Jackass episodes, Brad Pitt shows up with the uh, the Jackass crew and hangs out with them for for two segments, including a, a Night Monkey segment, in which you're you're told it's Brad Pitt in this costume, but if you're watching at the time, you're you're not really given confirmation until the the end credits of the episode, in which there's footage of him taking off the monkey mask. But anytime I see this episode and I see that gorilla costume. I think of those moments in Jackass and it's just another part of, of my adolescence growing up and another part of my nostalgia that, uh, that I love. It's, it's completely, I admit it's completely personal to me. Um, I, I don't know many out there who, who have that same crossover, but, uh, it's just, it's one of those things I like. I like seeing the, the fake gorilla costume, but this costumed gorilla starts beating up Patrick and Sandy. Now, even though SpongeBob is completely worried over this decision uh, of leaving his house, leaving the safety of his uh, living room, he, of course, ends up jumping into action to try to save Patrick and Sandy. And even though he is not really strong enough to take on this gorilla, as this gorilla rips him in half, one of the few times we've seen SpongeBob ripped like this, uh, he does go on to question, why is there a gorilla underwater? And why why would he exist here? And even though SpongeBob is ripped in half and Patrick and Sandy are beaten up and this gorilla clearly has the upper hand on them, he does realize that he's been placed on the spot and decides to try to answer this question. Uh, the gorilla then starts talking to the screen and the gorilla is actually voiced by prolific voice actor Frank Welker, uh, one who Billy West and John DiMaggio has called a voice god. That's not that's not Captain Eric's quote here. That's Billy West and John DiMaggio's. But let me tell you, this man's resume is no joke. Uh, Frank Welker, if he doesn't sound familiar, well, let's just go over his SpongeBob resume here because he is the voice behind both Clamu and the Baby Oyster from The Smoking Peanut. He is the voice of Mystery the Seahorse from My Pretty Seahorse. And then, of course, he is the gorilla here in I Had an Accident. Beyond his roles in SpongeBob SquarePants, Frank Welker is probably best known for his role of Fred Jones in the Scooby-Doo franchise. Since 1969, Frank has voiced Fred in most, if not all, 
uh, animated Scooby-Doo properties. There, of course, have been certain spinoffs like A Pup Named Scooby-Doo that he didn't appear in and the movie Scoob. But other than that, Fred has been the same voice in every cartoon, every animated movie. It has been quite a ride for Mr. Welker here. Beyond Fred, he has also been Dr. Claw from Inspector Gadget, Megatron, and Soundwave from the original Transformers, Oswald the Lucky Rabbit for the Walt Disney Company, and for Nickelodeon, he is also known as Goddard from the adventures of Jimmy Neutron Boy Genius, the movie and the series, and also Garfield in the current Garfield show, and I think beyond that is the official voice of Garfield. He is also the voice of Bubble Puppy for the Nick Jr. Bubble Guppies show. Uh, That right there is just a small snippet of what Frank has brought to the animation world. And let me tell you, this man leaves a legendary career behind him because this is just a small sampling of the buffet of Frank Welker. Beyond Frank's voice coming out of the gorilla and the stammering of his answer as to why he's underwater and what he's doing over here, he calls over his friend George as if they're, they're caught and they need to run away. And George comes over and is an actual horse costume, a two-men horse costume. And the the voice of George is actually D. Bradley Baker, who, if you are a longtime listener of this show, I have I have mentioned this man plenty of times. He is just as prolific of a voice actor as Frank Welker is. D. Bradley Baker is behind so many cartoon characters. There there's not much time here to name all of them, but even for SpongeBob's sake, he is the voice behind such characters like Perch Perkins, Squilliam Fancy Son, Bubble Bass, and he is also the high-pitched singing voice of Mr. Krabs from Christmas Who, one of my little tidbits there. Uh, Beyond that, he's been in such shows as Mike Luanog, As Told by Ginger, The Fairly Odd Parents, Static Shock, Teen Titans, Dora the Explorer, Avatar the Last Airbender, Kids Next Door, Phineas and Ferb, Cow and Chicken, Adventure Time, American Dad, the list goes on. The Clone Wars. He plays, I think, all of the clones in The Clone Wars. Rex, Commander Cody. Come on now. D. Bradley Baker is the man. He is also uh, one of my favorite Nickelodeon characters, Olmec, from Legends of the Hidden Temple, uh, in a gig in which he not only voiced Olmec, but he is actually the puppetry behind Olmec's uh, mouth moving up and down for the voice. He was sitting behind there with a little crank, a little little piece of Legends knowledge for you. But uh, yeah, D. Bradley Baker here, uh, appearing as George the Horse. Uh, a nice little moment for both of these voice actors here in SpongeBob. And and this entire ending is so weird. Now, I didn't even, like, get through the ending. So the gorilla, SpongeBob asks, what's a gorilla doing underwater? The gorilla stammers, uh, like, uh, you know, he goes to try to answer the question. He says that they're caught. They got to run. He hops on George's back, and they run off into the sunset. And as SpongeBob, Sandy, and Patrick kind of move into frame to watch as the gorilla and the horse ride off into the sunset. The camera zooms out to see a family of four watching this episode of SpongeBob SquarePants, and we get this up-close shot of the parents kind of shaking their heads and turning off the television. So let's talk about this ending for a second. This ending that abruptly happens, and then we see these live-action parents shutting off the, the SpongeBob program on the television. 
What is going on? What does it mean? Well, uh, I'm sure there is an actual meaning to what they were trying to get across, but from what I can imagine, there have been many parents in history since SpongeBob has been on the air who just see little tidbits of his episodes, of his stories, and just sum it up as it's all nonsense, as this is just all stupid and silly. And I think this ending is just to kind of poke fun at those parents and to poke fun at their expense. Like, this is the this ending is what those parents think the entirety of SpongeBob is. They might walk in and see five or ten seconds of an episode and then just drum up an entire opinion on the entirety of the series. And and I think the end of this episode is what encapsulate. And I think the end of this episode is what encapsulates that. That moment that parents see, they walk in, they see the that silliness, and this is just what they're shutting off. Um, there could be a different meaning to it. There could be a different meaning that you interpret from that. But there were certainly parents that I would run into that would say that they didn't like SpongeBob or they wouldn't really allow him to play in the house or there would just be a certain level of SpongeBob that the parents could take. And, and I respect all of that. Uh, but at the end of the day, I don't think watching this show is a detriment to your kid. And that is going to be this week's episode of the Squarecast. Uh, for all of you out there, all of the fans, all of the Ready Crew, thank you so much for all of your continued support. I appreciate each and every one of you. Next week's episode is going to be another Video Bob Game Pants on SpongeBob SquarePants Revenge of the Flying Dutchman. SpongeBob's very first 3D platform console game. And it's one that I've already beaten as a kid when it first came out. And I know that this game has not seen its fair share of love. But I'm about to play it for the first time since it came out. There will be footage of it. And I might even try to live stream it in the next few days if I can. Um, so if you are a, uh, a subscriber to the Captain Eric YouTube channel, definitely hit that bell for notifications. Because it will let you know if I'm able to go live with that game. Um, if I can't this time around, once I get live streaming, like truly up and running all these other video, Bob game pants games that I haven't played in a live streaming aspect, I'm just going to go back in and play through. So it's, it's not going to be a problem for me, but I I'm really excited to see how I feel about revenge of the flying Dutchman after all of these years. And, and after just hearing all this negativity, I don't know, is, is it that bad of a game? Or are people really clowning on this game when they shouldn't just because Battle for Bikini Bottom exists? Because, look, it's no Battle for Bikini Bottom, but I, I just don't remember it being that negative an experience for me. So we'll, we'll find out. You can reach Captain Eric at spongepodpodcast at gmail.com. You can follow me on Twitter at I'm Ready Podcast or on Instagram at SpongeBobPodcast. Please check out my other podcast, This Week in Nickelodeon History, dropping every Sunday on most podcast platforms. And don't forget to subscribe to the Captain Eric YouTube channel, where you can also hit that bell for notifications so you can know whenever the captain puts something out. You can also purchase new and updated merch at the Redbubble link, either in the podcast description or in the link from any of my socials. Anything coming in through my projects go directly back into my projects, and all of it is always appreciated. As always, please stay safe, be kind to one another, and come aboard again to another episode of I'm Ready, a SpongePod Squarecast. What's a gorilla doing underwater in the first place? Now. <laughs> oh. Well, it, it's funny you should, I mean, the, see the, George, they're onto us! <laughs>
Let's get out of here. 